You're listening to the Veterinary Viewfinder, and this week, are veterinarians and veterinary staff members good patients in the human hospital? We're going to find out that and so much more this week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. When it comes to getting sick, I am probably the worst person in the world. I want to have my questions answered. I want to understand what is happening. And the question we're going to talk about today is, do we know too much to be good patients? Are veterinary healthcare professionals lousy patients? Is ignorance bliss when it comes to interacting with the human healthcare system? I'm Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm veterinary technician Becky Mosser. Cindy. Are veterinary professionals lousy patients? Well, I've been going through a lot of that myself right now. Being about eight months pregnant, I'm finding myself in my own clinic, in my doctor's office quite frequently, in the the human clinic. And uh, yeah, I would say that I probably make it a little bit difficult on my, my own doctor, asking them a lot of questions. I'm on my own patient portal quite a lot, asking them to give me some feedback, give me some advice, helping walk through all this crazy insurance stuff. So um, I, I actually have a little personal pet theory about when it comes to medical team members and our own health. I think everybody has a little bit of a tendency to either look at a, a medical symptom and either say, hey, I, I don't think that's really a big problem, or to look at a medical symptom and say, oh my gosh, I think that's the end of the world. Right, and I think right. when you're a medical professional, you take that and you make it even worse. So if you're a medical professional, right. you think, oh, it's even more or less serious. I would recognize if it was really, really a problem. Right, right. Or you take it even more seriously because you think about all the terrible things that could happen. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, and I totally agree. We do tend to maybe know too much uh, and is ignorance bliss. But getting back to that, asking so many questions, I mean, how does your human healthcare team respond to that? Do they, do they encourage you to ask lots of questions and bring in information from the Internet or do they just dismiss it? What do they say when you ask all these questions? I think it really depends on the human physician that you find. And you guys can tell me if this is your experience too. And I'd love to hear from our listeners and see how they feel about their own medical healthcare professionals. Because I've definitely had some that have found it to not be an enjoyable experience. Right. And uh, my current general practitioner is amazing. And she and her team, including her and her nurses, have been wonderful about responding quickly to my questions and taking the time I, I'm really looking for. And frankly, treating me like a peer, which feels really good. So I enjoy that. But I have had specialists. Um, I'm a well-controlled epileptic. And so I have had specialists where I've asked questions and really not gotten answers or not had explanations for the answers I was given. And that's been pretty scary uh, then to go back, look at review articles and feel like that didn't match up with the answer I got from the doctor. And I, I've changed specialists because of that. Do you think that veterinarians are welcoming when our question, our clients have lots of questions? I think it's situational to the veterinarian. I, I do think that a confident veterinarian enjoys that 
quote unquote challenge, as long as they're being challenged with knowledge that makes sense. You know, sometimes it's crazy. The things we, it gets cumbersome to answer like, well, no, I don't think coconut oil is probably going to take care of heartworms, you know, but when you have real true questions that make sense and people are just truly trying to have an understanding, um, I really enjoy a veterinarian who takes the time and likes to have those conversations and take the time to educate. But also I think it's a great tool for veterinary technicians. That's what we love to do and educate. Um, so I enjoy working with staff that does like to educate. And, and personally, I think if you have a veterinary professional or a healthcare professional that doesn't tolerate asking questions, you, you know, you should question that healthcare professional as your best provider. Right, because this is a collaboration. I mean, we need to be sharing in the decision-making process. And if your human health care provider or your veterinary health care provider isn't welcoming, quite frankly, these questions and discussions, then it's probably time to find another one. Cindy? Yeah, and I know, Becky, you've been going through some family health issues that some of your family members have been going through some, some health issues. How does that feel to be a family member who is kind of the medically literate person in the, in the family? You know, it's, it's good and it's bad. Um, so my dad has recently been having some pretty serious heart issues. Um, he was diagnosed with congestive heart failure and um, actually had an injection fracture down to 15 to 20. So um, some pretty scary times. And um, on Monday, he had a valve replacement procedure. And um, through a lot of this, I found it very um, lonely, isolated place to be, um, feeling like the only member of the family who really... Um, felt like I really was understanding how serious this was and not really knowing how to convey to my family and even to my dad, you know, um, how poor his chances were of actually getting through this surgery at all and what this, you know, long-term looked like for him. Um, but also during recovery when my family was all very scared and wanted to know more about the numbers um, that they were seeing, you know, on the monitor and what they all meant, um, it was a good feeling to be able to explain to them that they were all very positive numbers and that it was actually looking really good. So I think it's both sides. I think it's, from a veterinary technician standpoint, really difficult. Um, and this was actually funny, um, a time I put to test the new title initiative of veterinary technician versus veterinary nurse. Mm. And I did find that when I expressed that I was a veterinary nurse to doctors and nurses in the hospital, they came right back at me from a medical standpoint. When I said veterinary technician, I don't feel like they really truly understood immediately what that knowledge base looked like. So when I said I'm a veterinary nurse, you can kind of speak to me on a medical level. They really identified with me. I felt like more as a nurse. And, and I found that was sort of an interesting experiment through this time frame. Um, but when I expect my, express myself as a veterinary nurse, I found I was getting a lot more information um, from the medical staff. It was interesting. Well, I want to hear what you guys think too. What happens when they find out you are a veterinary healthcare professional, veterinarian, veterinary technician, or nurse, as we like to say it? I mean, how have you been treated, Cindy, when they find out you are a doctor? Yeah. And I've heard different experiences from different veterinary professionals too, and different experiences on how they want to be treated. Uh, I tend to find that the level of medical discourse goes up. So they tend to start talking with me more on a medical level. For the most part, that's easy for me to keep up with. I don't tend to find that they talk about things I don't understand. And if there is a term I don't understand, I feel pretty comfortable saying, oh, we don't have that in vet medicine. What does that term specifically refer to? I have other colleagues who say they don't really want to be treated any differently because they feel like the terms are different enough that they don't feel like they can catch up. How about you? You, Dr. Ward, um, 
how do you how do you find you respond to that? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, you know, having been you know, through the healthcare system with, you know, dying parent and, and certainly with family and children and all that stuff. I, I tend to want to establish right away that I am a medical professional because I, I kind of want to, you know, do the shortcuts and let's move right on to what we need to talk about. So I think it helps in that that regard. I do. I have encountered physicians, though, who are like, oh, you're a veterinarian. Well, did you know that blood pumps out of the lower chamber and the left side of the heart. You're like, okay, veterinarians are not dumb. You know, we totally got that. But um, so I, th- I think your your experiences and those of your friends are similar. Some some doctors, some human doctors really take to it and respect what we do and, and just elevate the conversation. And others are like, ah, you're a vet. What does that mean? You guys don't know anything except for how to stick your hand up a cow's bum. So I think you got to got to be careful with that. I will say this, spring it on your doctors in stealth. Like I don't just walk in and say, hi, I'm Dr. Ernie Ward. You know, I will typically wait until that conversation allows me an opportunity to say, you know, you know, I do understand what you're saying. And then we can go from there. I am also really curious to hear how people have that conversation. I will notice that there are particular ways I usually talk about that. I usually slide it in there when they're taking my blood pressure and crack some joke like, right. oh, I wish my patients were this good for, for taking their blood pressure. Mine are wiggling all over the right. place. So how do you guys tell medical professionals that you're a veterinary professional? Yeah, I want to hear what our listeners say, too, because that's a great one. That's what I mean by stealth mode, you know, kind of slipping it in there. And they're like, huh, what do you do? Uh, and uh, I, I think that's that's very true. Becky, what about you, though? You're you're trying some new nomenclature. I mean, how, how do you slide that in? Generally, I kind of mm, tend to say it when they start explaining things at a really base level. And it's partially because I ask a lot of questions and I ask them right out of the gate. Um, and I sort of try to establish I'm asking these from... Um, the background of medical knowledge as opposed to I googled this and it's a word I read and so I kind of try to you know put it out there that way that like oh you know I'm a veterinary nurse and in my experience what I've seen is this this and this and is this similar in the human field and what can I expect and sort of put it in there that way as a way of sort of explaining myself for so many questions but also um, establishing a level of knowledge. Right. Well, I'd like to now shift the conversation just a little bit and Cindy uh, since you and Becky both have been you know frequently and recently going through the human healthcare system. What what has been your experience overall? Are you happy with the way you've been treated? And do you find the care or quality of care is acceptable? Or, or what has your experience been? Yeah, so I think there are multiple sides to that. One, I think we're continually fascinated by the cost of care on the human medical side. Yeah. As much as our veterinary patients complain about how Uh, Sometimes they think the cost of veterinary care is more expensive when you get those actual bills from the human side and you see how much your insurance is paying. It's pretty amazing to see how how expensive things are on the the human side. So that's been pretty fascinating. Um, Overall, I've been treated pretty well. But again, I had a recent experience where I really did not feel good about the type of patient communication I was getting uh, to some of my questions specifically about a frankly, breastfeeding on some of the medications I was on and whether or not that was safe. And I kind of just got a recommendation saying, you know, yes, you can do it without an explanation as to why. And the more I asked, can you kind of walk me through that decision? I was just kind of told, hey, um, 
I don't have the information for you or here's the information I have. It wasn't really relevant. And then I was told to go get a second opinion and I felt right. pretty dismissive. So, right. so, and then I have, again, my general practitioner is, is very thorough, great at explaining things. Um, I had to travel to Orlando uh, for the National Veterinary Business Management Association Conference. And Zika is going on in Florida. And so we had a really involved risk assessment about whether or not the risk was high enough for me to stay home or whether it was worth going. So that I thought was a very a partner-based, team-based decision-making process along the lines of what I think we usually do with our clients. So again, I think it really depends on the physician, what kind of experience uh, I've been having. And Becky, you've been going through, you know, a very serious medical condition, you know, life-threatening. I mean, overall, I would say it's been very positive. I think the culture of educating and including the families is shifting to being a more positive and inclusive and team-based decision, like Dr. Cindy had said. Um, I think there was a time when they really did try to shut family out in a lot of ways. And, and I do think that culture is changing, and that's been my experience. My dad's at Vident Medical Center in Greenville, North Carolina, and they have a, an amazing advanced heart center. They were able to do an incredibly advanced um, TAVR procedure on him. And, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful for the, um, the inclusiveness and the, um, I think it's hard in the human side because they are so specialized and divided. Um, there's an astronomical number of people involved in my dad's care right now. And we don't always see that in the veterinary side as well, where that specialization is really requires an immense amount of communication to be sure that we get all aspects covered. And Becky, I know you were talking with me the other day about noticing specific technical things about your dad's care. I know you were mentioning to me the number of stock stopcocks and IV pumps. Again, are there those moments where you wish you didn't quite know so much? And, and how do those moments feel? Yeah. So before I left yesterday, I counted, I went, I believe there were seven IV pumps and seven three-way stopcocks attached to all of these tubes going into him into wow. various places. And yeah. Um, and again, this was immediately post-surgical, but my dad's also diabetic. So um, they're having to regulate his insulin and his um, blood sugar and um, all of that, as well as his fluids. And um, he's an AFib. And so there's a lot of complications here. And unfortunately, we don't know what we don't know. So I can't say what it feels like to, to not know. Um, I think that just because of my scientific mind, I want to know, um, even when it's bad news, I want to know because I want to wrap my head around it. But, um, as soon as we walked into recovery yesterday, my dad was still, um, anesthetized and, um, intubated. And and my sister made a comment along the lines of, you know, ignorance being bliss. And I, and I did look at her and say, you have no idea because like, I'm looking at all of these drugs and all of these numbers. And, you know, I'm scared that these numbers are all in relation to these drugs and what happens when he comes off of all of these fluids and, um, you know, really thinking about why all those different, um, fluids are there and those types of things. And And they have the benefit of just thinking, oh, this is normal. This is just what it looks like when you've had a really serious procedure. And I'm like, ugh, these are all things keeping him alive right now. Right. And there are three points I'd like to make uh, based on what you just said, Becky. And the first thing is, you're right. I think we tend in the veterinary profession, and this is why I love what I do, we do view them as individuals, as patients. We have real emotional attachments and connections, sometimes to the point of being unhealthy, in my opinion. But regardless, you know, that is a special little 
critter that we're taking care of. So, you know, whereas sometimes I think of the human healthcare system, it's so massive that you're just reduced to patient, you know, in room 2A. The second thing is this whole concept around resource scarcity. I mean, in the veterinary clinic, you know, I don't have seven IV pumps hanging around you. I'm like, what can I do with that one pump and with that one stopcock? So resource scarcity drives us and forces us to be, you know, a little bit more conservative with how we use resources and and maybe a little more clever and, and and delivery of, of, of services. And then the final thing is, you know, in, in my clinics in particular, we were always there to solve the client's problem. And whereas I think many times when I am trying to even schedule an appointment for a child or something, it's like, you know, we're sorry, we're, we're, we're busy that day or whatever. It's, they don't try to help me solve my problem. They just tell me why they can't do something for me. Cindy, what have, what have you found around those types of, of Topic. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. Um, our clients definitely have different expectations of us, I think, than they sometimes do of their human counter than our human counterparts. And I think sometimes when we make those comparisons to them, um, you know, clients don't necessarily expect if they don't show up for their appointment, they don't necessarily expect to be charged a missed appointment fee. So there are definitely uh, some differences there. And I think vets argue about whether or not that's fair, whether we should be more like our human counterparts or not. We tend to uh, draw a lot of comparisons between veterinary healthcare and human healthcare and, um, I think there's sometimes a little bit of imposter syndrome. Again, that are you a real right. doctor or are you not? And um, some of those differences I think are good and some of them are are not so good. So I, I don't know. It's it's just different. It is different. And I think that is the, the, the most important foundational concept that we have. And that is that we are doctors, but we are different than human doctors. We are veterinarians. We should be proud. You know, we should say we are problem solvers. We do deal with limited resources. And above all else, you know, we want to make sure that that patient is treated emotionally appropriately. So I think it's, I'm glad to be a veterinarian. Yeah. I, I have you guys also had the experience where you've had friends come to you and say, I really wish I could get treated by a veterinarian instead of a human doctor? Yeah. And I never know what they mean by that, because what what I don't think they mean is the technical aspects, because you know I don't have a CT scanner in my clinics. Um, I think what they mean is the emotional connection, the answering your questions, the having those conversations and real meaningful relationships. I totally agree. I think it is part of that. But I also think that people respond to how quickly they get answers in the veterinary field versus human medicine. And I know in my own history and in when times I've had medical situations going on that take, you know, a lot of diagnostic investigation, this isn't something that is done in a short period of time. And regularly you're given pills and told come back in six to eight weeks. And it's a long time to not feel good. Um, and, and then no one calls and checks up on me the next day to see how I'm feeling. Where in the veterinary industry, that's what we do for our patients. And, you know, if you need blood work, I'll have it back tomorrow, not in two or three weeks. So maybe right. even that day right in practice. So I think people are really receptive to the immediate diagnostics and the knowing when it comes to finding out what's going on with their pets. Yeah, and that's where I start to, to find fault with the human medical system because you're right. There's these massive, there are these massive delays. I've got a buddy of mine who has a, a heart condition and you know he is going through these test results and uh, it'll take like 
two weeks before you can get the results back. Yeah. And I think that frustration is multiplied when you're sitting there in the waiting room and you're thinking to yourself, if my clients were sitting here this long, they would be screaming at us and you're sitting there putting up with it. I think it makes us 10 times more frustrated. Um, Do you guys feel that same way? Do you feel like you're more patient with the medical team because you've been in their shoes? Uh, Do you feel it makes you more or less empathetic having been on the other side of the uh, waiting room table? Well, what I can tell you is that I brought donuts and ordered pizza for the staff. So I know that I brought my own medical background uh, to the table and said, everyone's happier when they're fed and they'll know that all of my questions are meant with the best of intentions. So what I did bring was my experience of appreciating clients who recognize staff and second shift staff and um, always like to do something nice for the medical staff. So I did try to come at it from that aspect, but um, I can say I try to be sympathetic. I know how overwhelming it can be. And as a support staff member, you you are in the middle um, between your patient's needs and your doctor's needs. And, and I do try to carry that empathy, you know, as a patient and as well as a family member of a patient. Yeah, Becky, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is another one of the reasons why I'm so lucky to have Laura as my wife. Because when my father, uh, when he was passing away uh, in the hospital ICU, you know, he was there for like 10 days. It was a massive you know, ordeal. But that's what Laura did. Laura kept those people fed with donuts and Starbucks and pizza. And, you know, and I will tell you, it made a big difference, I think, in the quality of care that my father received towards the end. That sounds horrible to say out loud, but it's a it's a fact of life. And I I think you're right. When you treat them with a little bit of gratitude and show your appreciation, they tend to to do a better job. I think we all appreciate that. Um, Do you guys all find that when you are patients, sometimes you suddenly find yourself in the position of being a veterinary professional again, that all of a sudden you're getting peppered with questions and stories about people's pets too? Yeah, that that is the frustration with going to certain human healthcare providers is they then derail the conversation. You're there about a medical condition for yourself or your child, and suddenly they're talking about their cat. That drives me crazy. And if you agree with me, I want to hear your comments on Facebook or Twitter because that is so inappropriate. But suddenly, you know, you're like, your kid is there with a fever and they're like, hey, I've got this cat who's losing hair behind its its ear. You know, what is that? And they're like, fix my kid. Yeah. And I, I wonder how you guys deal with that. There are some Facebook groups that I've seen where people start asking for tit for tat. So they start saying like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to start billing you now. <laughs> or they say, <laughs> um, you know, hey, so I can call you. What's your phone number so I can call you in the middle of the night to get free services or something like that. Um, in my personal experience, especially when it comes to, unfortunately, some of the support staff, I've gotten some stories shared with me that are very concerning in terms of poor care being taken yeah, care of pets. For sure. And I would caution medical support staff telling uh, stories of their own pets because because it makes me a little bit concerned about the medical care I'm going to get if someone is not taking particularly good care of their pet. I I don't know if we get quite as much in terms of it from our medical professionals, but I get it everywhere I go. And I definitely hesitate to tell people what I do because the minute they hear veterinary out of your mouth, they're like pulling out their phone. And, you know, I I literally had a guy on a plane one time, like zooming his picture and trying to show me his, you know, his pets, uneven eyes or uneven pupils. And I was like, I feel like you should probably talk to a veterinarian. Like it's, you know, but at the same time, like you said, you don't want to discourage them from asking questions because I am always here to be kind of that second voice of, hey, my 
I bet said this. Does this sound right? But yeah, um, I haven't had, but I, I mean, I guess it has happened to me occasionally with medical professionals, but I'm a very upfront, blunt person who will kind of, I don't even have to say anything. You can look at my face and you can tell exactly what I think about your question. So um, maybe I just established early. Don't ask me that. I, I don't feel good. That's really surprising, Becky. I can't imagine anybody thinking you would be upfront and direct. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I work on it. I'm trying to be more out there. <laughs> And how about those medical professionals when they come into our clinics? How do medical professionals uh, work as clients? What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think this is great. I will tell you this. I go into hypervigilant mode. When we see human medical professionals, you know, MDs uh, and RNs, I want to up my game. I want to make sure that we are communicating clearly in a medically appropriate fashion. That's just me. I think for me, I try to respond with how I want to be talked to when I go into a medical situation. So if someone says to me, I'm, you know, I'm a nurse, no, I understand what you're saying, then I tend to go into a more medical dialogue and up sort of that dialogue um, and make sure that they know exactly from a medical standpoint and sort of respect that level of education that they've shared with me because I think that personally is what I look for. So I think I naturally default to providing it. I personally enjoy it because I feel like we are oftentimes having to explain the importance of certain procedures or the seriousness of certain situations in the veterinary profession because people maybe just don't understand, you know, um, a dog that was perfectly fine this morning can have a hemoabdomen tonight and it is a matter of surgery right now or life or death. And when I have a medical professional working with me, I can really make sure that I know they understand the seriousness and um, the importance of a lot of the things I'm trying to explain. I, I enjoy working with medical professionals and being able to kind of explain things. And I tend to find that they have a, an in, a good level of curiosity about what we're doing and kind of providing that comparison of, oh, how do you guys do it in your field? This is how we do it in our field. This is how it's similar. This is how it's different is really kind of fun. Have the level of skill I provide be completely appreciated, I think is is nice. So I, I tend to enjoy that. What we don't enjoy so much, I think, is when those medical professionals attempt medical care on their own. Right. That tends to make us a little bit worried since there is not always a direct translation that can lead to some problems. Right. And I'd like to hear from our listeners if they've had this experience. So typically, like, let's say I come in, I diagnose the dog or the cat with whatever condition. And then I say, you know, one of the more common treatments that we use uh, to for this condition is whatever it might be. And have you ever had that MD then say, oh, you're still using that drug? Oh, no, we use. And and then they bring some, you know, fifth generation cephalosporin or whatever that, you, that we don't have access to. Or if we did, it would be thousands of dollars. Personally, I've had folks who, as I do with my own medical care, go and look at the research and try and figure out if there's something that we're missing. You know, I've had a cat with chronic skin issues where a nurse was looking into some of the other things that might be going on, trying to figure out if the pet had, you know, the herpes dermatitis. And, you know, again, trying to partner with them and figure out how likely that really was or wasn't for that particular animal. So can definitely make things a little bit more complicated. Again, that may fall into our our boundaries with clients or working with challenging clients, you know, how do we how do we handle those cases? Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I think back to when I've taken my children or myself or my wife to the doctor over the years, and let's say that they are offering a treatment plan that maybe I'm not comfortable with. You know what? I don't just I'm not confrontational. I kind of will try to talk through it, try to get more information to decide. But you know, I think that you're right. It's how they approach it and 
this is where we will forever have the tension between the human medical profession and the veterinary profession because, you know, we just aren't the same and sometimes we try to make ourselves too similar and there is going to be friction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can say, though, I know that my nurse certainly appreciated it yesterday when I told her how much I felt her pain because she was dealing with nine syringe pumps and I can't get one to be quiet. And she every time she left the room, another one would pipe up. So I think sometimes we can use the opportunity to bridge the gaps by saying, I feel your pain in this aspect and I appreciate what you're doing because... One syringe pump is often too much for me. I want to throw it across the room. I don't know how you're managing. Like I said, I think it was seven or nine. Well, I certainly am thankful for all that our human healthcare providers do to keep us safe and healthy. Uh, Certainly, we can all complain about different aspects. There's certainly always going to be room for improvement. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really satisfied with with the care that my family has received over the years. Are we lousy patients? Maybe, maybe not. I want to hear what you have to say. Please join us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And please make sure to subscribe so you can hear new thoughts every single week. And leave us an honest review. We want to hear what topics you want to hear about so we can keep this fresh and exciting. And don't forget to join us next week for another great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder where we're going to talk about veterinary medicine and pop culture. Bye. Doctor, doctor.